What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the PFN Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Kyle Yates, and I'm your host. I can be found on Twitter at KyleYNFL. I am joined here today by Kyle Soppy. He can be found on Twitter at KyleSoppyPFN. And my very good friend here, JJ Zacharies, and he can be found on Twitter at LateRoundQB. Kyle, I will come back to you in a minute. JJ, how are you today on this fine Thursday morning? I'm good, man. It's been a minute since we were able to do something like this. So it's great to be you know, back on a show talking some fantasy football. Kyle, how are you today, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing good. I mean, we're running through some high-quality guests here this week. You Just Mr. Yates pulling out all the stops here as we get closer to the season. It, you love to see it. Preseason ends this week, and we got the regular season. What's not to like? We are getting very, very close to some real football happening here. Uh, in preseason week three, like, I just don't know what to expect. Like, one team could be like, no, we're just running all backups. The other team is like, yeah, we're starting everyone. So Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, there. Aaron Rodgers. You just have no idea what to expect. They're going into week three. It keeps us on our toes here over at Pro Football Network. All right, gentlemen, before we get into some running backs and tight ends to avoid, we did get some news here yesterday that Trey Lance has been passed by Sam Darnold on the San Francisco 49ers step chart, which is always a good look. Uh, so right. let's talk about the fantasy fallout here as we get like this official confirmation Brock Purdy is the QB1 in San Francisco. We'll talk about Trey Lance from a dynasty standpoint here in just a second. But I did want to talk about Brock Purdy and whether or not he's actually someone that we should be drafting in the same range of some of these other players of the Russell Wilsons, the Derek Carrs, or is he still a little bit further down the board? Sapi, I'll throw this to you first. How should we be valuing Brock Purdy now that we know he is the official starter here for San Francisco this year? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a little further down the board, but the weapons are there. Like, nobody's going to argue that San Fran's offense can't support a quarterback like this, especially with the Yak, the Kyle Shanahan build. All that stuff is pretty quarterback-proof. You can plug and play. You can throw somebody in there. So I don't mind that. But as far as redraft or any one quarterback standard format, he's not he's not there for me, but that's more, more a statement about the depth of the position than it is anything Purdy's doing or not doing. I think he offers a nice floor in two quarterback and super flex leagues, but I just don't see the ceiling that he gets into that top 12, 14 range that you would need him to be. JJ, I'll ask you that same question. What should we do with Brock Purdy this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement for the most part. You know, I think that if you're in a super flex format or something like that, then he's fine to, to go after in that sort of format because obviously the baseline shifts. Um, but, you know, he's a mo- he's not a mobile quarterback. We know that we should be targeting those, those rushers and those mobile guys. So you have to question where the true ceiling is coming from. And I, I want players in single quarterback leagues that are going to give me true top five, top six upside. I think there's some yep. formats and situation scenarios where you can go Brock Purdy's way. Like I said, if you're in a super flex league or if you're just in a, a really deep format, I do think that he's a value versus ADP where he's being drafted. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I think that he's someone, you know, sort of like a Matthew Stafford where, um, you know, he's fine. He's, he probably can outperform ADP, but I don't know if he's going to be a league winning player. So you don't necessarily need to be overly aggressive outside of like a best ball draft or something yeah definitely the same camp for me i think that he's definitely going to be on the streaming radar as we move into this year in one qb formats depending on the schedule you can definitely plug him in there in some positive matchups but not someone that you need to draft over the aaron Rodgerses of the world the jared goffs that that sort of he's a little bit further down the rankings there for me let's talk about trey lance though because just did not work here in San Francisco. Uh, did not get the opportunity, obviously, in year one. Then year two, we know the injury happened and then got passed by Brock Purdy. And Sam Darnold here in San Francisco needs a fresh start. Kyle, I'll ask you, is some is Trey Lance actually someone that fantasy managers should be buying in a dynasty format because he could get an opportunity somewhere else, still incredibly young? Or is it really, this is kind of, if he didn't make it work here, we're, we're, the ship has kind of sailed? Yeah, I mean, I think the letter holds weight, but at this point, it's... It, as is anything with these trade questions, it's kind of 
dependent on asking price. Like I, if he's going to cost you as little as I think he will right now, like, I mean, we're talking, he was just passed by Sam Darnold. Like just that sentence alone should tank his value. And if it doesn't, then like, I'm not going to pay up or go out of my way to get Lance. But I mean, you're talking about a 23 year old with an athletic skill set. JJ was talking about the athletic profile that we want in these top 12 quarterbacks or guys that have the upside to get there on a weekly basis. To me, Lance still has that. The situation, wherever he goes, assuming it's not San Fran, isn't going to be as friendly playmaker-wise as it is with the Niners. But yeah, I mean, on the cheap, why not? He's worth a dart throw. He's still young, still athletic. Those things haven't changed. Atlanta makes a ton of sense for me as a landing spot there. But JJ, what are your thoughts on Trey Lance from a dynasty standpoint? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would be buying as much as possible right now. And I say that only from the perspective of, you know, when a team invests in a quarterback or a player in general, we expect that player to at least get a shot to play a full season, to be the starter for a full season. And even if they're not good from a dynasty perspective, you look at like the market, you know, Justin Fields still has plenty of question marks as a quarterback, Anthony Richardson right now, we don't know what he's going to look like as a passer, but we should feel pretty confident that given what they can do in fantasy, their year over year value will in the market will generally stay uh, pretty favorable. Right. And so with Trey Lance, that's sort of what the hypothesis and the thesis was, you know, for him entering his career was that, yeah, he might not be, you know, he's a, he's a raw passer. Maybe he doesn't get there as a passer, but when he starts, when he plays, he's going to be fantasy relevant. And so mm-hmm. I think that's still the case wherever he ends up going. And if a team does say, yeah, we're going to give him a full season, then there's a chance that he's able to, to maintain and, and, and gain quite a bit of value in dynasty. So I think right now would be the time uh, to go after him. It's definitely something where I've talked about this, you know, and I obviously I obviously was very, very high on Trey Lance coming out of college because of the potential, because of the upside. But I acknowledge that he needed reps. He needed opportunities to be able to get onto the field and actually play. And that just never happened here in San Francisco. So if you can find a landing spot that will give him that opportunity, then we could see some big things, but just not going to be the case here in San Francisco. So we'll kind of wait and hold to see where he ends up going if he does get shipped off from San Francisco. But depending on I, like what JJ said and Kyle Soppy said, like I think it is a situation where you can buy for dirt cheap in Dynasty right now and just throw a third round, fourth round pick out and just get him and see what happens here. It could be worth the payoff there. All right, if you are listening to this podcast over on wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure to take 30 seconds out of your day and leave a rating and review. It helps out in a major, major way here as we head into the season. We are going to be ramping up podcast episodes for you as we move into the year. So make sure drop a rating and review here. It takes 30 seconds out of your day. Helps out the show in a massive, massive way. Also, we talked about this on yesterday's podcast, but we have released a free fantasy football draft kit that you can find over at profootballnetwork.com. Sleepers, busts, breakouts from all of the members of the PFN fantasy team here, along with our rankings, cheat sheets. I mean, everything that you need to dominate your draft this year can be found over at profootballnetwork.com or go ahead and search free fantasy football draft kit into Google and we are near the top of the page there where you can easily find it there as well. All right, gentlemen, running backs and tight ends to avoid. Obviously, we love talking about the sleepers, the breakouts, the positive players here that could make an impact here for our fantasy lineup this year. But obviously, it's just as important to talk about the players that we need to avoid or could hurt us based on where they are going in drafts. This is not a do not draft a blanket statement like do not draft these players whatsoever, just simply where they're going in drafts. So Kyle Sapi, who is the first running back that you are looking to avoid in 2023? Yeah, I'm going to go a little higher up the board here and go Ramondre Stevenson. Like, I get that he was a great breakout story last year, the catching, all that stuff is great. I'm a little skeptical about using a mid-second, third-round pick on him right now. Like, he's he's running back 14 for me. So, I, let's not say that I'm putting him – I'm not 
you know, taking him out of my ranks or anything like that. But you had over 40% of Zeke's points. They've come in the red zone over the past two years. And this team doesn't get there. Like the few instances in which the Patriots get there, I worry that Zeke gets those valuable touches. I mean, the Patriots, bottom five in red zone drives last season. That's a concern for me. I get that the pass catching is going to result in a reasonable floor and all that. I'm fine with it. And he's more appealing in PPR than he is half, than he is, you know, standard. But, I mean, he ran for 80 yards just twice last season. I just – I don't get the appeal with him being, you know, drafted around 30th overall, somewhere in that neighborhood. I, I can't pull the trigger there with so little touchdown upside. Is he is he not – like, I, this is going to be a little drastic here, but is he not just a, like a version of Rashad White with a better publicist? Like, I'm not sure how much different that is given the 40 to 50 pick difference. I'm out on Stevenson this year at cost. It's really interesting. We, As soon as we got the news that Ezekiel Elliott signed, we expected Ramondre Stevenson's ADP to take a little bit of a tumble, right? And not yeah. to a drastic amount, but we both have him, I think, RB15, RB RB15 in our rankings. His ADP over on Underdog has remained at RB11. Like, he has not moved it whatsoever. So people are not a ton, not super scared off of Ezekiel Elliott landing there. But I will put you to the test here. Ramondre Stevenson or Travis Etienne in 2023? Can I say neither? Like I, I'm not going to draft either. I love the Jags and I love what that offense offers. So I guess I go ETN just out of principle for me calling Stevenson a bust on this podcast here. But to be completely honest with you, I, I'm going to actively try to not have either in my lineup. Uh, let's go Ramondre Stevenson or Joe Mixon. I'll go Mixon there. I'm not I'm not hesitating there. Give me the better offense, the stable workload. The Yeah, they're going to be in scoring position. I'll take Mixon every time and not think twice about it. All right, last one here for you. Ramondre Stevenson or Najee Harris this year? Ooh, we. I have Harris ranked a few spots higher. I, I'm going to go that route, but partly just because he's he's been available. Like, he hasn't missed a game yet. He leads the league in touches since he got into the NFL. So I'll go Harris there, but not feel great about it, not get super excited about drafting either. All right, Ramondre Stevenson, Kyle Sapi's first running back to avoid here for fantasy football in 2023. JJ, I'll throw it over to you. Who is that first running back that you're looking to avoid this year? Yeah, I'm going to talk about a guy that you just mentioned. That's Najee Harris. Um, you know, my philosophy with fantasy and, and from a game theory perspective is I really want a true ceiling, like a two, true top three, mm -hmm. top four ceiling from a running back that I'm getting in the second, third round. Um, you know, obviously Harris will drop in some formats and on some sites, you know, into the fourth or what have you. But uh, assuming that he's that like mid third, it's just not someone that I, I a profile that I typically am attracted to. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people will mention the volume and the volume will likely be there, but my, my, uh, my hesitation is, you know, a lot of people have referenced how he started last season. He had that steel plate in his, in his, in his shoe, uh, in his cleat, um, because he was banged up. He had that foot injury and he wasn't very good during the front half of the season. He averaged 10.9 PPR points per game. And then the Steelers had that week nine buy, and then out of that buy, uh, Harris ended up averaging uh, over 15 fantasy points per game. And so, you know, folks are saying, oh, it's because of the injury. I'm not really sure it's because of the injury. The Steelers had a really rough schedule to start the season. Uh, and then the back half of the season, they were third best in yards per drive, which was kind of crazy. They were only behind the Chiefs and, and Lions in yards per drive during the second half of the year. Um, really, if you look at his backfield split and his workload, his workload got worse uh, during the second half of the season where Front half of the season, he had a running back rush share per game of 77.4%. Back half, that went to 68%. Target share per game, 9.6%. Back half, 8.5%. If you're at that sub-10% target share range, in most formats, because targets are just 
way more valuable and, and literally and even standard leagues targets are more valuable than, than yeah. attempts are at the running back position. If you're not at that 10% mark and you don't necessarily feel confident that running back's going to get there uh, in the current season while you're drafting, it's just something that I'm not that interested in. Cause I think that Jalen Warren is a, a legitimate threat to maybe not having unbelievable standalone value, um, but at least digging into to Najee Harris's workload, he was more efficient than Harris last season on a per touch basis. You know, say what you want. I'm not saying that he can just step in and play this this three down role for the Steelers per se, but I do think that he, you know, on a team that sort of lacks a lot of explosion, Jalen Warren has explosion on that team and in that offense. Najee Harris is just a grinder, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of people are just drafting Harris based on projected volume, but that projected volume could end up dipping a little bit if Jalen Warren continues to show out. And not only that, the big thing, again, going back to the target share stuff, Warren is more than likely going to be the third and long and the third down back on that team. And that's a huge, huge issue if and when the Steelers are in negative game scripts or just in general, right? It's going to limit Harris's upside as a receiver. So I think there's sort of that firewall now uh, with the running back position where you get like in that Ramondre, Najee range where – you just don't feel that great about them compared to guys that you might be able to get three or four rounds later. And I, I think that's where the running back dead zone sort of starts this year. Yeah. And that's where the quarterback position starts, right? I yeah. mean, once you start getting uncomfortable with the running backs, you start looking elsewhere. Yep, exactly. It, both of these players that you mentioned, Ramondre Stevenson and Najee Harris are both players that I have listed in separate articles on like either do not draft or my running backs to avoid or bust. Smart guy or, with smart friends. Right. <laughs> uh, these are two players. And I think with Najee Harris, the uh, complete agreement because you need the volume for Najee Harris to be able to return value on an RB14 price tag right now in underdog. You need 20 plus touches each game. I'm a big believer in Jalen Warren and him receiving a lot more work in this offense when Najee Harris does not have the explosive playability, the 10 plus yards runs like he is, like you mentioned, JJ, he is a grinder. He needs to get the volume. If you are in this situation where you're not getting those 20 plus touches, Najee Harris towards the back half of last year, if he didn't score a touchdown, you were incredibly disappointed that you started Najee Harris. Now, he scored a touchdown in the majority of those games, and I remember this because I was fading Najee Harris every single week, and he still kept proving me wrong because he scored a touchdown. Is that really how you want to spend your fantasy football season, like with that price tag? Right. Worrying about this, if, I, if he doesn't score a touchdown, I'm not going to get that value. That's why he's been on the majority of my do not draft list or these running backs to avoid at their current cost. RB14 off the board. Let's move into another running back here that you are looking to avoid in fantasy football. Kyle Sapi, you're up. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about the volume and everything that comes with Harris. I worry about that with Brees Hall. Like, I get the talent, the skill set, all that good stuff. And we all think the Jets are going to be a lot better this year than they were last, and they will be. Like, I don't feel bad about saying that. But if he's slow out of the gate, like we all think he will be, and they brought in Delvin Cook. Like, you don't bring in Delvin Cook if you're not in win-now mode, if you're not in follow-whatever-the-hell-Aaron-Rodgers-wants mode. And if that's what Rodgers wants, that's what Rodgers is getting. And he gets the first crack at, Rod at earning Rodgers' trust. To me, that can't be overstated. I have all these spreadsheets and everything, and trust isn't a category on one of them. I get that. It's hard to quantify. But I've watched a lot of Aaron Rodgers over the year, and if he can trust you, you're getting the rock. And so Cook's ability to earn and to step into that role out of the gate overhaul gives me gives me cause for concern here Paul's current price tag I've got him outside of my top 24 running backs I mean we're still less than a year removed from the torn ACL and I, I Rogers offenses don't move fast so we're not looking at a high volume of plays I have a hard time seeing Hall return RB2 value in what I expect to be a committee and a committee he could potentially be on the wrong side of 
We're making it three for three with players that I'm looking to avoid here. Uh, complete agreement with you guys. Ar Brees Hall, RB15 off the board in underdog fantasy yeah, no ADP right now. I'm not spending that. Give me Aaron Jones. Give me Alexander Madison yeah. this year over Brees Hall because of the reasons that you mentioned there, Kyle Sapi. I am in complete agreement with you. JJ, let's throw it over to you. Second running back to avoid. I'm going to say uh, this one's, I think, a little bit controversial, but I'm going to I'm going to say Cam Akers, um, you know, at the beginning of the offseason, you know, whenever I was doing projections, uh, you know, back in like April or March, April, May, uh, Akers looked fine in projections and he still looks fine in projections. You know, he's, he's one of those players where if you look at ADP versus where he's projected uh, from a numbers perspective, he looks fine. Uh, you know, this this is not someone that you would typically call out. You know, last season, he finished the season on a high note. He had 17.7 PPR points per game across his final six. He had over 84% of the team's running back rushes per game during that stretch. That might sound like a good thing, but I see it as a cause for potential regression. Um, you know, we've only seen that happen, that 84% mark in terms of running back rush share across an entire season. We see that by about three running backs per year over the last decade. So is that going to be Cam Akers this year? I don't know if I can really bank no. on that per se. Uh, there's some uh, reports coming out of, of Rams camp from Jordan Rodriguez, who's a, a great reporter for them uh, from The Athletic, who's... Uh, been uh, hyping up Kyron Williams a little bit. You know, Williams was a fine enough prospect. He doesn't have the explosion uh, that you would like, uh, but he, he he obviously you know can play a satellite back role. He had a, a better than 15% best season reception share back in Notre Dame. Um, and he, he's shown out a little bit in the NFL as being a, a decent receiving threat. And so my cause for concern with Akers is, what if Kyron Williams, it's sort of similar to Najee Harris when I just talked about with him. What if, what if Kyron Williams does end up stealing some of that third down work. And this is on a team that is not projected to be very good this year. And so if they're right. in these negative game scripts, what if Williams is out on the field way more frequently than we expect? And then all of a sudden acres is just the standard, typical dead zone running back who just has early down work, a cap ceiling from a target share perspective. And even last season when he was seeing, uh, you know, doing the thing that he did down the stretch, his target share wasn't that strong. It was still under 10%. I mean, it wasn't that like he was getting it done through the air. He was just scoring touchdowns. He scored a, a touchdown per game uh, during that six-game stretch. So I'm just a little bit hesitant to go after Akers. There's a really a lot of good wide receivers in that range too. Um, I think right. within your within your positional rankings, I think it's okay if Akers, uh, you have him ranked within the running back position where he goes within the running back position. But my thing is the opportunity cost and getting a guy like that when there are just really, really good players elsewhere at other positions. Let's talk about the running back position super quick, though, with the players that are going around Cam Akers, because I want to find where that line is for you of where you would be willing to invest. So Cam Akers or Javante Williams this year? They're going back to back Akers. in ADP. Yeah, I still, I still have Akers ahead um, of Javante, but I could obviously make an argument for, for either. There's not guys that I've like, you know, the, the, I've done a lot of research on the running back dead zone. You know, this is the area of the draft where I'm not going to be overweight on a lot of guys. There's some, you know, like I like a Rashad White, for instance, who who, who uh, uh, Kyle uh, referenced earlier. But um, I'm still probably going Akers over over Javante. All right. One more here for you. Cam Akers or David Montgomery in Detroit? I'm going David Montgomery because I think that there's a, a, a great, great, you know, from a projection standpoint, Akers might look a little bit better. But the contingent upside for Montgomery, if, if something were to happen to Jameer Gibbs, you just have unreal upside. Like he could end up being, uh, you know, like a low end RB one if something were to happen there. All right, guys, you may still have a little bit of time before your fantasy football drafts, but that doesn't mean that you have to wait to get some shares of these players that you believe in. With Underdog's best ball drafts, you simply draft a team and then let the season play out. No waivers, no trades, no getting your lineup decisions wrong. 
Sign up now at underdogfantasy.com with the code PFN, and you'll double your first deposit up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of $10 or more. You deposit $100, you get $100 free. You can also click the link in your description to sign up and take advantage of this awesome offer. Head over to Underdog Fantasy and crank out some best ball drafts today. All right, final running back to avoid, Kyle Sapi. Where are we going? Yeah, you guys were just talking up David Montgomery as a veteran behind a young running back that could overachieve a little bit. And that's kind of my fear for Damian Pierce. Like, I think Devin Singletary eats into that workload a little bit. I mean, we had the ankle that cost Pierce the end of his, you know, pretty good rookie season there. But this is a terrible offense. They were trailing for almost 60% of their plays. We've talked a lot about game script and projected game script and flow in this podcast. And I think Pierce could run into some of those issues. Obviously, Houston's going to be terrible. We've mentioned the stat over and over again on this podcast that good running backs can come from bad teams. Like I'm, I'm with that, just not on Pierce. Like I just wasn't that sold on him as a running back two range. Like I've got him in that Cam 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 Acres range for me. And just like JJ was saying, it's a zone where I'm not getting a lot of running backs. Like give me other positions to fill out my roster here. I'm not comfortable penciling in Pierce on a weekly basis. JJ, I do want to ask you about Damian Pierce because Soppy and I are split here. I'm in on Pierce yeah, at his current ADP. Uh, Soppy obviously is not. So I want to get your thoughts here on Damian Pierce heading into 2023. Yeah, I mean, I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I, I think that you can look at the offensive scheme and, and feel more optimistic. And then, you know, there's been a lot of at least positive reporting about, uh, you know, Pierce maybe taking on more of a receiving role and such for what that's worth. You know, obviously we have to see it to believe it because it really wasn't there last season. One of the things that does scare me is offensive situation um, where, you know, I do a lot of analysis where I compare average draft position to uh, or average draft position expectation to how players actually perform. So every player at a certain ADP has some sort of uh, points per game expectation just based on what we've seen historically. Sure. Right. And what I found is that uh, over the last decade, um, running backs playing on teams with rookie quarterbacks have not exceeded ADP expectation generally by, by a huge amount. So I look at, when guys outperform ADP expectation by three or more points per game, I call them moderate breakouts. And then true breakouts are the guys who are true league winners, you know, like Tony Pollard last year or Josh Jacobs last year, who exceed ADP expectation by six or more points. Since 2011, there has not been a single running back in fantasy football to exceed ADP expectation by six or more points with a rookie quarterback. And so I do think that, like that. Damian Pierce is one of those players who can meet expectation, maybe exceed expectation by a little bit, but I have, I'm, I'm definitely hesitant to say that he's going to be a league-winning guy. Spitting out stats like that, Soppy's in love with the uh, with I, I am, <laughs> and they're anti-Pierce stats. It's even better. But <laughs> at the end of the day, we have one question with Pierce for you, JJ. The analysis was great, and I'm buying all of it, and I, I love where you're headed with this. But it's Damian Pierce versus I, Isaiah Pacheco is where me and Yates are going back and forth here. We can't decide on a bet, but we both are firmly on our separate sides here. Where do you sit on that? So, look, I was I was a Pacheco stan last season. He was someone yeah. who popped my prospect model, you know, right after the draft. Was really, really into him. Um, but I will have to say that I have just as many concerns about Pacheco's role in that offense sure. as I do Pierce's. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean Damian Pierce there. Ha. All right. Ha. I'm taking on the world here. My <laughs> JJ, let's start back over to you. Who is that final running back that you're looking to avoid this year? Yeah, look, you know, I just referenced all the that data about rookie uh, quarterbacks and running backs playing with rookie quarterbacks. So I'm going to go with Miles Sanders. Now, I get the allure. This is a very similar situation as like what I said with Cam Akers, where from a projection standpoint, looks fine. You know, you're not going to 
necessarily be destroyed if you draft Miles Sanders, but I also don't think he's going to destroy me if I pass on him, right? Uh, if you look at the situation, um, you know, there's not that much on that depth chart behind him. Although Chuba Hubbard had a really underrated season last year. I want to throw that out there. I don't think he's that bad of a, of a player, especially after his rookie year, which was pretty horrendous. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, if that one video of Frank Reich talking to Miles Sanders never About surfaced and never got, yeah. got thrown around, I don't think Miles Sanders would be as beloved as he is by a lot of people uh, in the fantasy space. I know he's somewhat polarizing, but uh, there, there's obviously people who are pretty bullish on him you know, catching 50 passes again in this offense. But my hesitation there is that he's been a pretty rough pass catcher since his rookie season. He's had yards per route run rates over his last three seasons of 0. 0.67, 0. 0.81. And last year was 0.29, which is like unfathomably bad. <laughs> like just just absolutely horrible. Um, and then all the while, you know, Deuce Staley is, is an assistant there now and he's the running backs coach. And Staley at the beginning of the offseason was saying how he likes committee backs and, and committee backfields because playing running back is like being in a, quote, car wreck. So, you know, Frank Reich might feel one way, uh, but if his coaching staff feels a different way and Chuba Hubbard being there might see a little bit more work, maybe Raheem Blackshear ends up seeing more of that receiving work too. I just think that we're back in a position with Miles Sanders where is he really going to hit that 10% target share mark? Is he really going to be this massive receiver? If you believe that, then you should probably be drafting Miles Sanders. I'm just a little bit hesitant on that side of him as a receiver, but then also him playing in this offensive situation where, you know, I, I think that we, we automatically assume that, you know, a team getting Bryce young, you know, upgrading the quarterback position, they're just naturally going to be so much better. But historically teams with rookie quarterbacks have been pretty bad and from, from an offensive touchdown per game standpoint. So um, I'm just, I'm just a little bit nervous about where miles Sanders ceiling is going to really come from. Can he mat match expectation? Sure. I, I think that's definitely in his range of outcomes. We should almost expect that. I just don't think that he's going to be a league winning player. And I want league winning players in that range. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were talking about. Cause Miles Sanders is literally right next to Cam Akers in ADP. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about, I would rather go the wide receiver position yep. in that range. If you don't see the upside there for Miles Sanders, then yes, you're going to look at some of the wide receivers that are going off the board around there. All right, fellas, let's move into the tight ends to avoid here in 2023. Kyle, I'll throw it back over to you. Who is a tight end that you're looking to avoid this year? Yeah, my tight end here is actually going in that same draft range. So I guess we're just going wide receiver heavy and calling it a day. I, I'm i not getting any shares of George Kittle. Like, I get the talent and the weekly upside that can present itself. But we're looking at a man in an offense that we're not sure is going to throw the ball a ton that could be fourth on his team in targets. Like, I, I just don't see the ceiling case. If I'm drafting a guy in the top five at his position, I want weeks, I want months where he could be the top guy at the position. And I just don't see that for kiddo if you're looking at percentage of games in which they ran more than 30 routes last season you've got kelsey at almost 65 percent mark andrews 60 percent tj hawkinson 53 percent george kiddo was under 27 percent like oh, i could lord the efficiency just has to be off the charts and i don't think it's going to be like that in san fran it will be for given weeks and he's going to have it might be in week one he'll have 10 catches for 167 yards and three touchdowns and right. we'll play this clip back and be like what is kyle doing on pfn but it's not going to happen often enough to make me eat my words. I'm, I feel good about that. I'm not spending a six-round pick on him. George Kittle, tight end five off the board there over in underdog. Uh, JJ, I'll throw it over to you. Who is the tight end that you're looking to avoid? I'm also going with George Kittle. Uh, I, yeah, I man, let's completely go. completely agree. Just to add to everything that Kyle just talked about, first off, the 49ers offense, I don't think people realize how freaking good it was at scoring touchdowns with Brock Purdy last year in the regular season. They ended up scoring 3.83 touchdowns per game with Brock Purdy in the regular season last year. 
That's sixth best if you look at season-long numbers since 2011. Really? There's no chance that, <laughs> that, that we're going to see this be maintained throughout an entire season. And I think a lot of people make the assumption that George Kittle uh, was good, or Brock Purdy was a good thing for George Kittle because Kittle did pretty well down the stretch from a fantasy points per game perspective uh, with Purdy. But he ended up accounting for 54% of their receiving touchdowns when Purdy was under center, which is also not sustainable at all. Dwayne McFarland from, from Fantasy Life, he noted this earlier in the offseason that uh, when, when, uh, when Debo Samuel, CMC, and Brandon Ayuk were all playing and active with George Kittle, uh, you know, a lot of those guys uh, saw 20, 21% target shares. Kittle was under 14% when, when nice. those guys were all healthy. So there's a lot to, to, to not love about Kittle. Um, you know, I understand more from a best ball perspective. You know, you referenced the underdog ADP. I understand it more from a best ball perspective because you have that protection with other tight ends you're drafting. Right. You know, he's going to have that weekly ceiling and that weekly upside because he's mm -hmm. a beast. Um, but I just don't think that you're going to get the consistency whatsoever. And if you're drafting him in the sixth round, you're plugging and playing him. You're not going to play another tight end over Kittle because you don't want to miss out on one of those monster games. But the problem with that, there's going to be a lot of valleys with those peaks. Uh, let's talk about who you would rather draft at the tight end position this year. So you got George Kittle or Darren Waller. Kyle, I'll start with you. It's Waller for me. And I don't think you have to pay. He's going after him. So, like, I'm I'm good with Waller there. The preseason hype's going to get out of out of control with him because of how good he looked in the preseason game the other week. But, um, yeah, it's Waller for me. He's going to lead that team in targets. We just said Kittle could be fourth on a given week. I don't think you can name three guys that would get more targets than Waller on that Giants team. So, give me Waller. JJ, same question to you. Yeah, definitely Waller for me. I did a lot of ADP-related analysis that shows that if a, if a tight end in the middle rounds is the first pass catcher being drafted from his team, like Darren Waller is, because there's no other pass catchers on the Giants that anyone's even thinking about in the middle rounds, those guys end up doing very well versus expectation, whereas the opposite with George Kittle is occurring. All right, last one here for you guys. George Kittle or Dallas Goddard in Philadelphia this year? Uh -huh. I thought for sure you were going Kyle Pitts. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll go Dallas Goddard. It's close, though. It's close. Uh, the offense I trust, I think they're going to throw a little bit more than San Fran. I trust Goddard's floor on a weekly basis. I don't think Kittle will have the two or three best games if you're comparing those two. But I bet you Goddard probably has the majority of like games three through 15 are more Goddard than Kittle. So I'll lean there, understanding that I'm giving up some ceiling. JJ, what about for you? Same deal. Uh, I have Kittle at, at tight end seven, so I have both Goddard and Pitts ranked ahead of him. All right, that will do it here for today's podcast. Taking a look at running backs and tight ends to avoid. JJ, thank you so much for taking some time out of the busy schedule that is the end of August to jump onto the podcast here. Why don't you let people know what you got going on this year and where they can find and follow your work? Yeah, you can find all my stuff over on LateRound.com. Uh, I have the Late Round Fantasy Football Podcast that I'm doing uh, every week. There'll be four, actually five episodes uh, in that feed throughout the season each week. Uh, and then I have the Late Round Draft Guide that is is really you know more strategy-focused stuff. Like 85% of it is, is really strategy-based stuff and, and looking at game theory and such. And then the final 15% of players to target, avoid, et cetera, et cetera. So you can check all that out over on LateRound.com. Phenomenal work that JJ puts out every single year with that late round draft guide. So go check that out, lateround.com. All right, that will do it for Kyle Safi and JJ Zacharyson. I'm Kyle Yates, and we'll see you next time.